All right, welcome to the brand new Everything EOS podcast, the flagship show here at Everything EOS. I'm your host, Zach Gall, and I'm joined today by not one, but two members of the Cypherglass team, our core sponsors here at Everything EOS, community manager Adriana Mendez and founder okay. and CEO Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for a very special episode of Everything EOS. We're going to be taking this time to cover a little bit of current news, but also look back on the entire year, the crazy year that has been 2018 uh, and everything that's happened for the EOS community. But once again, welcome back to the longest running weekly EOS podcast, the Everything EOS podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. And please let us know that you like the podcast by leaving a comment. We love reading all of the positivity there in the comments. Um, even the ones that are a little le less positive are still good feedback about the show. Help us improve, help us be better for next time. So if you like it, leave a comment or like, follow, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you else, <laughs> wherever else you may be listening. So on today's episode, we're going to be covering a little bit of news, including uh, the Chintai uh, 2.0 blog post that they uh, mentioned with some interesting uh, feature updates on that, uh, a lost key recovery tool, and more. Uh, but mostly we're going to be recapping uh, the whole year of 2018 and the wild ride that was EOS IO. Before we Ready. get started, I do need to mention that this podcast is sponsored by Cypherglass, but it's not sponsored by anybody else at the moment. Um, if you're listening along, you're following our opinions, you know, you're excited in this technology, please don't take any of our opinions or anything we're saying as legal, financial, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice. We're simply three excited people talking about open source software. And you should know that as we're discussing this, if we bring up a token like the EOS token, you should just assume that we all own it for matters of disclosure. So let's get to it. All right, so let's just jump into what I mentioned. Shintai 2.0, they put out an interesting blog post. Rob, you want to recap what they said? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So we've seen all of these, you know, I like to call them a new type of business model, um, sort of started out with DICE, where the token holders, you know, receive all of the profits from the platform. The token holders can, in the future, you know, vote on the direction of the platform. It kind of democratizes a, a business structure. We're seeing like these DAOs sort of start to be created. And now it looks like Chintai in their 2.0 version um, are going to be doing something similar with the Chex token. And they're also going to be expanding out to, to launch a DEX as well, a decentralized exchange. So if you've used new DEX, you've traded tokens there. Soon you'll be able to do the same thing on Chintai while you're also, you know, leasing out your tokens, leasing tokens from other people, um, buying and selling RAM. They're, they're trying to make this an, an entire sort of all-encompassing resource exchange in a lot of ways. So it looks pretty interesting. I'm, I'm excited because up until this point, all, the only dividend tokens we've been seeing have been the gambling dApps. And I mean, they just have a negative connotation to them because it's gambling. I mean, it's a business model. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, it it's, it's provably fair. But I, I think some of these features uh, in Shintai 2.0, I'm really looking forward to. One being the Rex integration. So we've been talking about the Rex for months now. And it, it's finally within arm's reach, and it's being tested on Jungle Testnet as we speak. And I'm looking forward to that being on the Shintai platform. So we're going to have like competing token leasing between the Rex and then the shorter leases on, that, that Shintai already provides. Um, I'm looking forward to them having the RAM trading right on there. Uh, but the feature I'm most looking forward is to the auto renew. So they have auto yeah, I was gonna say contract that. renews and, and, and market uh, orders that they, you could basically set a price, basically. I'm not going to lease out my tokens unless someone's willing to pay X price. I think that's a really cool feature. It's very similar to what we're used to with trading tokens, for example, by putting like a, a stop limit order, for example. How about yeah, and what's, what's, 
I, yeah. I like that feature also. I think what's cool about it is that I think it should bring down prices over time. Because if I say, hey, I'm willing to do it for 0.1%, I can just leave that order up and it can you know, execute, it can lease out, then I can get my tokens back and it will automatically execute again in this cycle. So it should keep the prices down. What about you, Adriana? Well, I really like that they're going to be um, multiple chain facing. They're going to include um, all oh, of yeah. the chains that are going out on, on EOSIO. So I do like that they're supporting the entire EOS uh, ecosystem, not just the EOS chain, which I think is going to drive competition and ultimately drive better chains in the future. So I'm really excited to see them um, kind of adding access to multiple chains and, and you know, spreading out their wings throughout the EOS um, ecosystem versus just staying on one chain. I think that's, uh, like I said, it's going to drive all these really cool features within different chains and um, and it won't matter if you want to use, you know, Warbly or Telos or any of these other chains. If you think they're better, you'll be able to access that on Chintai. Um, and I do like that they're going to be giving, um, you know, Rex isn't out yet, but I do like the idea of having the competition come out before. Um, this way it's driving even more competition and, and bettering Rex at the, uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are going to have questions. They're going to say, okay, how do, I, how do I buy the checks token? How do I get it? All we know so far, and I talked to Kevin at EOS, uh, EOS New York, I tweeted them and said, hey, you know, any more details? The details in that blog post that I'm sure will be linked below are the only details that are out now. We know that you'll be able to get checks tokens from actually using Chintai, you know, trading on it, leasing out tokens, um, buying bandwidth from other people, all these different things will give you tokens. It's unclear if they're going to do a token sale. There's going to be some other way to get them, but... That's all we know for now. Once we know more, we'll obviously update you guys. But uh, if you're about to type that question out, we do not know the answer yet, unfortunately. <laughs> and that, that reminded me, too, we didn't mention that the tokens will be earned through mining. So basically, if you're renting out your tokens or buying and leasing to or transactions, either or you're going to be uh, mining checks tokens. That's how you're going to accumulate them is by actually using the, the platform, which is really cool. Um, so I guess we can't talk about Chintai without the Chintai proxy, guys. There's, I believe, five spots left, and it's going yep. through an application process. Uh, do either of you guys want to explain um, how it's been explained to you? Because there hasn't been a whole lot of information, and as far as I yeah. understand, the applications haven't been uh, like delivered to the Chintai team yet, right? Right. So the Chintai proxy is managed by a set of five proxy managers, and they're all sponsors of the Chintai uh, resource exchange. So um, David from EOS42 delegated this down to um, five proxy managers, and they are all uh, active in the EOS uh, ecosystem. They're all a part of block producers, so they are all aware of what makes up a good block producer. And they get together, um, I think what's going to be, be once a week in the new year to decide on one new BP to add to their proxy. And we're hoping that Cypherglass makes the next entry. Yeah, they're, they're, they're proving to be a, a monster proxy. I don't know if they're number one or number two at the moment, but la last week they had about 15 and a half uh, million votes staked to their proxy. So that's how many tokens are actually using the, the Shintai platform. And we can only expect that number to double, triple, quadruple once you're able to actually earn checks tokens by using the platform and use the recs on the platform and, and cross-chain. So that, that's the cool part is the checks token is going to be one token that's mined on every chain. So it doesn't matter yeah. if you're leasing or renting on Chintai, Warbly, as long as you're doing it through Chintai, you're earning one token. So it's going to be uh, very similar to Bancor. So the Bancor token, how it's on... Uh, Ethereum and EOS. In this case, it's just all EOS, EOS IO chains. 
but you're earning that that token and using that token on all chains and platforms, which is really cool. Yeah. So I guess I, I said we're going to run through the news. We, we spent a little bit longer than I thought. Uh, automated <laughs> lost key solution. So this is huge because it, it ties in with all of the ECAF controversy we've been seeing uh, lately. The block producers have not been following through on ECAF orders. And we've even see a, seen a proxy. Ash Oro posted on Twitter about Freedom Proxy saying they will no longer vote for any block producers who are basically acting on ECAF's uh, wishes. Uh, so yeah. Uh, you want to explain the automated solution that we're trying to create? Yeah, first of all, I think it's the right move from Ash, and we totally agree at Cypher Class. If you look at the community and the community's response to ECAF when these orders have come down, they've really done way more harm than good from a you know chain reputation standpoint, from an immutability standpoint. And I think that's sort of the general consensus, not just of the block producers, but also of the community. So I think ECAF, you know, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks, ECAF really doesn't have any power anymore because the BPs aren't giving them that power. So I think what's going to happen through referendum, we get them out, we go to a free market arbitration, and then issues like these will continue to be solved. Um, but the automated lost key solution, so that this big controversy was around basically the first lost key account, where ECAF went out to the block producers and said, hey, vote to approve this proposal to change the key, basically change the, the key that owns this account to this other key, because this person has proved cryptographically that they own the, the Ethereum account associated with the EOS account. And what that would do is not only give that person back um, their account that they lost the key to, but it would also set a precedent for all of these other people. I think there are several thousand other accounts um, totaling several million EOS, I believe, um, that would then get access to their accounts through a similar process. But it looks like now we may have an automated solution where if you have the private key of your Ethereum address that's associated with your EOS account, since we you know went through that whole claim process when the mainnet launched, if you have that private key, you should be able to automatically recover your account without the block producers intervening, without there being this major precedent set on chain. Um, so we'll continue to monitor this. It looks like, you know, nothing is out officially. It's just been proposed by EOS Nation at this point. But hopefully this is a solution that not only gets people back their keys, but also prevents, you know, setting a precedent where a BP can change somebody else's key. Because I think there are a lot of lot of slippery slopes that sort of go along with that. And, and I hope that's not something that actually has to happen. I'm interested to see what happens because I think for dispute resolution to work on chain, it has to be scalable. And the more automated solutions we can come up with, the, the more scalable it becomes. So this will be a nice Absolutely. test to prove scalable uh, solutions in this type of situation. Yeah, that's really why uh, I like SageWise a lot because they're taking a whack at um, dispute resolution on change that's automated and scalable. Uh, this is one of the talking points that I've come across more often in 2018 with people that ask me about EOS is, hey, I hear that there's a lot of recourse action and it's available on EOS. Um, and then I have to explain the governance process that this kind of decision goes through with block producers and um, you can you can kind of see them get a little weary of it. So I think that the more tools that come out for dispute resolution that are scalable, uh, it's going to be great. The free market will decide which one they like the best and uh, we can go from there. All, all right. So moving along with the news, we have one more uh, last piece of news that just happened recently. We had another <laughs> casino. Yeah, it's, it's like every couple of weeks we get another one. Uh, Rob, I'll let you explain this one as well. Yeah, so this one targeted FastWin, and this time it was not a you know node-level, system-level exploit. This was actually an exploit in their contract. So somehow or another, I don't think the team has actually released the specifics, somebody got a hold of their private keys that were associated with the FastWin contract account. And what that person was able to do was basically go in, mint a bunch of, of Fast tokens, just create a bunch of new ones out of thin air, sell them on exchanges, do all kinds of stuff that 
obviously directly impact the way that that entire business and that entire Fastwin ecosystem is running. So the the solution that's been put in place by the Fastwin team is is actually pretty interesting and something that I don't think um, we've really seen before. And it, it's controversial on both sides. I'm, I'm sort of undecided on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think maybe parts are good and parts are bad. But anyway, effectively what they're doing is they're airdropping a new token to anybody that has the fast win tokens right now. So if you have 100 fast, you'll get 100 of this new token as well. And then they're effectively just replacing the old fast token with this new token. Fast and the reason and why they're doing classic. it... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's so interesting they have a fork like this where essentially they're trying to roll back their token to before the hacker got into the account. So they're just airdropping to everybody except for the hacker, except for all of the transactions that were associated with that person, you know, taking advantage of this exploit and printing more uh, fast tokens. So they're just, hey, we're going to drop a new token basically on this previous snapshot um, to kind of roll everything back, which is interesting. You know, it doesn't affect the EOS ecosystem on any kind of level. It's not like a, a DAO fork on Ethereum. You know, this is something just one single DAP has decided, hey, we're going to roll back our token ownership by minting this new token, which I thought was pretty interesting. But we'll see how the community responds and see how they do after they implement this new token, see if people still trust it and, and all that good stuff. But uh, I think the biggest point I wanted to make here is US New York put out a really good article recently uh, talking about why it's so important that token contracts in particular, the, the token contract in this case that was exploited, have multi-sig permissions on them. Mm -hmm. So if you're not familiar, instead of having one private key, I could set up a a three of five key on a token contract that requires three out of five of our team members to approve a transaction in order for it to go through on that token contract. And in this case, a multi-sig contract like that would have prevented this attack because they wouldn't have been able to steal one key and suddenly mint all these tokens. They would have had to steal three out of the five and then try to do this. So I think it's it's even more important that we encourage other DAP developers to implement this standard from ES New York so that, hey, you know, put a multi-sig contract on your token account so that you can first assuage people's concerns that this is safe, but also prevent things like this from happening in the future. So we'll see what happens with it all, but that's kind of the gist. I mean, it's it seems like a decent enough solution. I mean, they, they didn't really have a whole lot of options. So I yeah. guess out, out of the options they had, this one's decent enough. The only people who would really lose on this are the people who maybe uh, used new decks and bought or sold tokens between the time of the hack and the time that this snapshot was taken. Uh, that they're airdropping these new tokens to. So uh, I, I guess as far as collateral damage, they're trying to minimize it. So that's probably based on the, the trading volume on Nudex. It's probably a very small subset of people. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see how the community responds. So Yeah, I, and I did oh. I did notice that they're, they're apparently burning like 1.2 billion of their 10 billion tokens, oh, I believe yeah. it is, which were, yeah, they were previously the team's tokens. So they are taking, taking actions that negatively impact their team in order to try to positively impact the platform. So I think that's pretty admirable, but we'll see how it all works out. We'll see. But uh, now let's get to the, the meat of this podcast, the part we've all been waiting for. So I guess I'll just lead into like how the year 2018 even got started. So it, if we go back to December 2017, it's a little bit before 2018, but what happened was we were all waiting for Dawn 2.0. So that was the big software release we're waiting for on GitHub. It originally had a milestone date of December 31st, so it should have been the new year, but uh, Block One tweeted out that it was coming early. Christmas was coming early. So instead of it coming yep. out on December 31st, they moved their timeline up 
which never happens in software <laughs> development. Yeah. That's <laughs> the last thing that ever happens in software development. It always takes twice as long <laughs> as you planned it to. So they, they moved it up, and December 4th, Dawn 2.0 was released. And I think that kind of started a, a parabolic <laughs> run that led us into 2018. So yeah. the year 2018 kicked off with a bang, with Dawn 2.0 running up. Um, and then, the, Dan, do you remember in Telegram, Dan was like, wait for it. It's going to be like legend or something. He was like hyping up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, he God. tried to do the legendary play. <laughs> yeah, and totally overhyped whatever the announcement was. Because the yeah. very first big event in 2018, and this was still during the ICO, let's all remember, because we were mm -hmm. all so caught up in the main net and the governance issues we have and ECAF and the DAP hacks and all this and that. We forget that we were, we were in an ICO, what, six months ago, seven months ago at this point? Yeah. Six months ago. Yeah, um, yeah so the big... The first big event was the SEAL South Korea meetup live stream on January 13th. Now, Rob, we kind of have an interesting story together about that because we were, we were on yeah. vacation together in uh, Vail, Colorado. You want to kind of re recap our experience there and that night? Yeah, definitely. So when I was when I was still at ICO Alert, we all, you know, twice a year, we would go on a company retreat. And that first company retreat that we went, uh, went to Vail, Colorado as a team and we were out at dinner one night. And we're all sitting around the table. And of course, it's been like a crazy couple of weeks. This is sort of the, the peak of the, the bull market back in 2017. Everybody's freaking out. And now we're in January, Don 2.0 on our heels and EOS just starts to run while we're at the table. And if you haven't been through a bull market before, running is when, you know, all of a sudden the, the token is just jumping in price, just keeps going, keeps going, keeps in. So we're all freaking out at dinner. Every 10 minutes, everybody's pulling out their, their block folio and refreshing it and seeing what the price is. And I remember at dinner, I think it went from, I don't know, 10 or $11 while we were sitting at the table to 20 plus by the time we left and, and, and you know, Let's, finished our meal. It was wild. Let me backtrack. So we, we flew out yeah. on like a Thursday. It was Martin Luther King weekend. And I remember we threw, yep. flew out on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. And you made a bet with Q, not the million. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you made a bet that EOS would never drop below $10 again. And yep. as those words came out of your mouth, there was Korea FUD at that same oh time. Goodness. I forget what it even was. Maybe it had. I think it, it was like South Korea's banning ICOs, banning crypto. And, and it was obviously just some made up thing from a misinterpreted press release. So then immediately it dropped below 10 and I lost a little bet. The, the moral of 2018 is basically that I should not make any price related yeah, you bets should, at you all. You shouldn't anymore. gamble, Rob. Just, just <laughs> yeah, stick exactly. to holding and staking the gambling tokens because you're 100%. not a good gambler. Yeah, that part's um, working pretty well. So. <laughs> So you, you, no one ever shook on that bet, so it never really happened, but you would have lost because you lost before the bet was even made. Oh, yeah. But well, we I, get all, I lost a bunch of those sub $10 bets where I paid him, so it all, it all worked out. We, we got on the plane, and like two days later, we're at an all-time high, which is around $18. And that was, the e for us, it was the evening uh, leading up to the South Korea meetup live stream because we, we were all expecting big announcements, and there actually were big announcements. They announced... Uh, Richard Jung, who was the former CEO of Bithum, which at the time, I think, was the largest, highest volume exchange in South Korea. So yeah. they announced that. They announced uh, Everipedia. And I believe this is the meetup where they announced the launch of EOS VC. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, funding. Um, I've mentioned uh, in some informal settings uh, a little bit about our plans in the past about how we're going to be deploying capital into EOS IO innovation. Um, and today I want to introduce EOS VC. EOS VC is a program 
uh, that's going to deploy $1 billion of capital into EOS projects over the course of the next couple of years. We're now making a formal commitment uh, to put the majority of the capital that's come in through the uh, token sale back into the innovators. One of the biggest problems with this space today is that most of the token generation processes are actually destroying resources. So we take a look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, we're paying tens of billions of dollars a year, right, to process very few transactions. In fact, in Bitcoin, we're paying hundreds of dollars of transaction per transaction before transaction fees through the network inflation. Through the token sale over the last year, Block One has been able to take in those resources, and now we're going to be deploying them back into the entrepreneurs. This is going to stimulate more innovation, right? One of the goals of their token sale was to create a fair, transparent uh, distribution process, but one of our major goals was also to do something that was not so destructive from a resource perspective, something that allowed us to keep that value and redeploy it back into the ecosystem. So I want to introduce the structure that we're going to be using to do this. Uh, we, didn't, we, we sat down and we said, if we're going to deploy a billion dollars into EOS.io projects, what's the best way to do so, right? How are we going to foster the most innovation? How are we going to help those projects succeed? And this is the structure that we, we have put forth. EOS is, our Block One is going to be working with VC partners in order to deploy this capital. So it's going to be investing in different market-leading venture capital units throughout the world, right? Um, and in addition to Block One's capital, we're going to be bringing capital in from those partners. So it's going to leverage up those resources and then drive it back into the tail end of innovation. It's going to give us global access to projects. These VCs are already seeing the deals. They're already working with a lot of projects. And they're in an incredible space to educate the projects about EOS capabilities, right? We're firm believers that this technology is the only technology that's going to actually allow the blockchain to scale. It's the first technology that's going to allow us to launch projects like Steemit, like BitShares, the next Facebook, the next Uber, distributed communities that are ready to disrupt the Fortune 500s. A lot of the talk over the last couple of years has been about Bitcoin, has been about uh, money, digital currency. But I think that in 2018 and into 2019, the conversation is going to just shift to DACs, or distributed autonomous collectives, or communities, as we talked about earlier. The partner VCs will be further putting capital into these vehicles, so we're actually going to be putting a, a lot more than a billion dollars of capital into EOS.io innovation. Um, and we think that the combination of the partnerships and the combination of, of all this capital coming together after, that we've been able to preserve through the token sale is really going, to really going to drive a level of innovation that we haven't yet seen. So on January 23rd, we're going to be announcing our first VC partner. Uh, and it was interesting because this is all bullish news. I remember... Rob and I set our alarms. It was like 4 a.m. local time at the hotel. We planned on watching the live stream together. <laughs> yeah. But neither of us did. I, 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 my alarm went off. I pulled it up on my phone, and I, I think I fell asleep watching it. Yeah. But well, I, I think the first hour was in Korean, so I couldn't understand it anyway. Yeah. The next day, uh, we were so bullish on it, but the price dumped. Like, you, you can't make people happy. So oh, yeah. That's how the year started off for Rob and I. How did the year start off for you, Adriana? Because you weren't with Cypherglass yet back in January. What was your uh, role in the EOS ecosystem back then? Were you, uh, did you hold tokens back then? 
Yeah, yeah, I did hold tokens. Um, at that point, I had been steadily filling my bags and just kind of watching. Um, I was a huge Ethereum person back before EOS was announced, and um, I always thought that the most, you know, the most obvious problem with Ethereum was its scalability. So when EOS came out, I was super quick to jump on it. Um, I had been participating in the crypto world for about two or three years at that point, just slowly investing, um, watching 2017, um, you know, blow up my bags. That was a huge win for me. I think it was a huge one for everybody. But um, in January and February, I was still uh, just loading, loading small bags. I mean, I was, I was among the people that thought it would never dip below $10 again. So um, <laughs> I think, I think we can all uh, admit to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy. Uh, it's easy looking back on it now in like a bear market going, oh, these idiots, like how could they ever think it's going to a thousand? But so in the moment, stupid. like when you're in that like FOMO oh, yeah. rush of everything's going up 100 percent every other day, it's easy to believe that like it's going to keep happening. Especially yeah. At I, the time I sat next to Rob every day at work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then and then you become, in, in, you know, a maximalist, you know, so to speak. And then you start telling everybody, you know, it's never going to go back down under this price. Um, I have a few people that are looking at me like, what? What was mm -hmm. that? <laughs> <laughs> so I tell them, hey, you gotta you gotta buy when the price is lower, lower that average, keep lowering right. that average. Um, but yeah, I mean, back in the beginning of the year, I was just uh, just an EOS fan. I was trying to learn everything that I could learn about it. Um, you know, I had some experience with Steam and BitShares. I knew what those were. I knew who Dan was. But it wasn't until um, things started popping off in Telegram, and I think that was at the beginning of the year, that I really started to learn what EOS was capable of. And that's when I just bit down really, really hard. Um, I was already an EOS person before Rob had reached out to me about Cypherglass. So when that opportunity came about, I, I jumped all over it. I mean, it was um, like a match made in heaven for me. So when, when did you start with Cypherglass and how did uh, your relationship come about? Either of you guys can answer that one. Yeah. I think it was, I want to say it was through a headhunter, wasn't it? And then Ben, yep. ben flew out to meet you, I guess. Yeah. So earlier this year, I, you know, I've been blogging in the crypto space for a while, kind of volunteering and throwing my skill set at the market. But this was the first time I had ever been approached about, you know, a full-time serious position that would take me from, you know, being paid in fiat to being paid in crypto, which was an awesome transition. Yeah. I got, I was reached out to by a headhunter uh, who said, hey, we've got this stealth block producer looking to come on scene and we're interested in the community manager. He set me up with a call with Rob. I think Rob and I had a call for maybe 20 minutes and it was, um, it was like after the first question that it, it was instantaneous to us that we should be working together because oh, yeah. we just kept we just kept answering questions and talking to the point where it ended up, ended up being a get to know you interview not really a can you do this job interview um, and I immediately wanted to work with him and as soon as he mentioned that he was bringing his brother on and they already had a team of people that were experienced um, I knew that I had basically found my new crypto family so nice I, I like that remembering back <laughs> to this time frame Rob you were talking when what when did you decide you wanted to uh be a block producer because i believe it was at least 27 late 2017 because i remember it was yeah EOS new york meetup i believe and you yeah in uh november i think it was november 2017 we decided and i think that's when the first EOS new york meetup had had you know sort of been announced so i was involved a little bit with a blockchain called rise and running a bp there and a little bit dabbling in lisk never owned my own bp in lisk but was very involved and you know, saw all of the bad stuff happening there with collusion. 
Um, but anyway, so we went to that first ES New York meetup. I don't even know if Kevin knows this because <laughs> when I I saw him at the San Francisco Hackathon, he was like, "Hey, nice to meet you finally." And I was like, "Oh, I don't know if you know that I was at that first meetup." Um, but we were there just seeing what what it was all about, seeing you know what the the demand looked like for EOS, and that was our sort of point where we were like, "Okay, yeah, we'd love to run a blog producer for this, sort of take our." expertise and our experiments with rise and list and move it over to eos especially since we were so interested in eos um at that point anyway and the reason why we didn't announce you know that's a long gap from november all the way over to i think it was a month before the mainnet launched i want to say it was like may that we actually came out and, and announced and the reason why it was so long is we went through um a whole nother partnership that then yeah. fell through right at the last minute and then had to build our team from scratch which is where adriana came in and ross and james came in and our advisors came in um so yeah, we had we had this whole thing planned with this this big company that, that everybody company, listening major yeah. major major company. It would have been pretty cool. I think it worked out better this way. Um, looking back on it, I'm glad we built a team from scratch and everybody involved, including Adriana, is a partner. So they they feel like they have some ownership in the business. Um, and we're all really running this thing together versus there being this hierarchical structure. But we had this whole thing ready to go with this big company, and they had all the servers and in like the best data center in the world, and we were ready to go. And right before we're about to sign the deal. This this news comes out that they're being investigated by the SEC for for a few different things that they were doing, and we're like, oh god, like we can't <laughs> jump into a partnership with these people under active investigation with the SEC, not knowing how it's going to turn out. And a lot of times those things, you know, turn out fine, but the threat of an active investigation yeah. is what is like, okay, we can't sign this agreement a day after or the same day this news comes out. So we basically scrapped everything with them. Said, sorry guys, like here's the situation. They understood, I think, you know, where we were coming from. I think. They would have done the same thing if they were in our shoes. And then it was like, okay, we got to get this shit together and just started, you know, trying to talk to people, finding people. Ben put us in touch with, uh, and, and Ben is really the person who who got a lot of this team together. So huge credits to him. He put us in touch with Jesse Proudman, our tech advisor, who then put us in touch with Ross, and Jay, or with Ross who was our first tech guy, then brought on James as our second tech guy. Um, ben helped with the, the headhunter getting Adriana on board. And then I helped get Rick on board, our financial advisor. Um, so it's been a wild ride and that's why it took so long for us to announce, but here we are finally, and now we're hundred percent owned by our partners. And I think it all worked out, you know, for the best in the end. Uh, that, yeah. it, was, it was torturous for me because I knew Rob was going to announce being a block producer, but he would not give me any details about it. He wouldn't tell me, dates. <laughs> he wouldn't tell me names. Yeah. He wouldn't tell me who his partners were. Yeah. I would come into the office and you'd be like, so are you thinking about announcing uh, that BP soon? And I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I am, maybe we're not. Maybe we're just scrapped the whole thing. So, so yeah. your, it was your idea to start the podcast. So why don't you remind me, because I don't even know where the yeah. idea came into your head, because I had no intentions of ever doing anything publicly. And at, at the time it was just audio only. So how did this thing even start? Because I can't really remember. I just remember you asking me one day, hey, you want to record a podcast about you? Yeah, so I had started the main like ICU Alert interview podcast when I was, you know, that was in like a, the, the very, very early days of ICU Alert. And I started out with some just on my laptop doing this audio only with Skype. And when EOS came out, there was so much to talk about. I felt like there was so much going on. And you were like the first person, Zach, that I could talk to and be like, oh, wow, like you get it. You see where this is going. Like you're as excited about this as I am. Yeah. Why don't we talk about this on a, on a podcast and we'll just record the conversations that we're having anyway? Because we would sit at the office and just, talk you know we're having lunch or throughout the day hey did you see this thing about eos did you see the you know esvc whatever it is um so we just decided one day to record it uh, obviously started audio only here we are on video and and now expanding into this beast but that's kind of how it all got started i remember uh so for a while 
Block One was putting out these like Apple style YouTube videos, and they yeah. were just so inspiring. And it's just like <laughs> we, we both had our notifications set that anytime Block One would tweet or post a new YouTube video, we'd get the link. But yet we oh, still yeah. send each other the link as soon as we got the notification, <laughs> as if the other person wasn't already in the middle of watching it. Yeah, but, uh, it, it it was. I think I should maybe recap some of those videos. I'm, I'm gonna put a, some clips together. Let's roll those clips. Blockchain technology and EOS in particular are background technologies. So it's like the technologies that connect the banks. It's the technologies that power every website you use. Blockchains are just a really better data architecture. It's a database. And you shouldn't know how databases work in the same way you don't need to know how the technology in your phone works because it's not relevant. What they need are products and services that are going to change and improve their lives. The first time uh, an average person hears about an insurance product, for example, that halves their premiums and gives them more inclusive service that they can rely on. Uh, when a child with cystic fibrosis has to submit some type of experimental surgery to the insurance claim and they're being judged or approved by other people in their same situation. This is going to lead people to adopt cryptocurrencies so that they can take advantages of the services that lower premiums or provide just fundamentally better products. We're disrupting the centralized services that are taking a cut out of everything. The systems in which the internet is built on was still a world designed for paper. And at some point, we have to throw out the old system. And the blockchain is essentially the enabling technology on which we're building the new world. That means having reputation, identity, dispute resolution, all on a blockchain. We take these things for granted that we've got bank accounts and credit cards and these things that make our lives kind of function well. And most of the world doesn't have it. And so in the same way that the internet democratized knowledge and information and communication, this technology is about to democratize the financial world, and it's the least fortunate people on the planet that stand to benefit the most from it. I'm continually blown away at the things that people are coming out and, and talking to us about, whether it's using the blockchain to subsidize universal basic income to using the blockchain to curb global warming. What I've seen and what I've become convinced is that the blockchain is capable of doing things that even governments are not. Yeah, so that that those videos were a big reason. And on top of sitting next to Rob every day and talking about EOS, that that was kind of what led to this excitement. And we'll, we'll get into some of the other things that happened throughout the year. But I think the main that launch was an exciting time for everyone. So oh, yeah, the ICO, I guess let's recap the ICO. Rob, you want to explain how it was like a Dutch auction style, how it went a year and all, all that yeah. stuff. And then we'll get into the so it was a year-long ICO and split up into 23-hour rounds. The first round was actually five days long. And at the end of that five-day period, they listed on exchanges. They were on Bitfinex and then slowly added some more exchanges. But then after that first five-day period, it was 23-hour rounds. And the reason why it was 23 hours was so that every day, we would end in a new time zone. And over the course of, I think, 350 different 23-hour periods, um, they could give everybody a fair chance to you know, dollar-cost average in if you don't have a bunch of money ready to invest right now. Um, and this whole time telling people that the tokens are worthless, which is where a lot of this, uh, you know, EOS is a scam, EOS is this came up because they were saying, you know, these tokens are going to be worthless. They're going to be locked at the end of this ICO. And then maybe a community will launch it and honor the snapshot. Um, so that was this this whole thing. People say, why did Block One need to raise, you know, $4.8 billion? How could they come out and do that? They didn't set a target at all. We you know, a lot of ICOs. <laughs> yeah, we gave them that money because in each in each period, whether it was the five day period or the 23 hour period, 
In the 23-hour ones, they sold 2 million EOS um, in every single period. And basically, the way that the, the price was determined by the total amount of Ether and the value of that Ether. So if there was 100, 100, 100 people in it, um, and there were 2 million EOS, obviously those 100 people, depending on how much they put in, would split the EOS, and that's how you got the price. And it created this interesting arbitrage thing from the exchanges to the to the, um, the ICO, which is, I think, how they made most of their money. If you think, you know, if, if you put $100 million into arbitrage between these two exchanges, they were basically getting 50% of that because a lot of that was flowing through them. So that was kind of the ICO, this year-long process where the price every single round was a little bit different. Um, when as low as 50 cents, when as high as, I think, 13 or $14 during that ICO, maybe even higher. Adriana, what, what, what are your memories from the ICO? Does anything stick out to you? Oh, man. Um, scam. The word scam sticks out yeah. like a sore thumb, unfortunately. Constant FUD. Um, constant FUD. Yeah, that's the right term. Um, fighting that uphill battle of being a part of the community when it first kind of got started and understanding what EOSIO was capable of from the beginning to um, walking walking EOS up the population scale with everybody speculating on it was a challenge because you had everybody kind of throwing stuff in your face saying this is a scam, this is a scam. And um, I mean, I think we're all human. We can only, you know, stay so strong sometimes that sometimes it starts to get to you and right. it becomes really frustrating to keep defending this thing and this technology that you're not getting paid to defend. You're not, you know, you're not getting paid to promote. At this point, I was, like I said, I was just uh, an EOS fan. So um, I, I feel for everybody that's been with us since the beginning because we've had to combat a whole lot of FUD and a whole lot of nonsense. And that's what I remember. Um, you know, this has been the most amazing experience of my life but i would be lying if i said it wasn't the most frustrating one as well <laughs> yeah so, some of the fud from the ic let's see we had the block ones recycling ether and buying into their own oh, crowd God. Sale <laughs> the, then there was the terms of services which basically said this i uh this token has no value it does nothing which was, was the truth my yeah, my doesn't. eos tokens are still sitting in my ethereum wallet they're yep. locked and they do nothing that they did exactly what they said they would. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was the major FUD. But we were all waiting for that mainnet launch. And I had expectations that... So because... Do you remember how many tokens were minted every day? Was it 2 million, I believe? I think it was 2 million, yeah. So I think it was 200 million in the first five-day period. Like way more. That's where they got the bulk of their money. And then it was 2 million every day for 350-some-odd days. The mainnet launch. So as soon as the ICO ended, everyone's eyes were on, how do we unlock this chain? So which one of you guys want to explain... Uh, your experience with the mainnet launch, explain the 15% unlocking period, the go, no-go votes. Who who wants to, to start on this one? I'll let Rob introduce okay. this <laughs> So basically, you know, after Block One locked up those EOS tokens that they were selling, now they're worthless, now they're locked. You literally can't transfer them on your Ethereum account. Like, they were locked. If I tried to send them to you, Zach, I would get a transaction error and I wouldn't be able to. Um, so that's where a lot of this FUD came from initially. But from that point, it was up to, you know, the community and actually one anonymous uh, appointed block producer to actually launch the chain and honor that snapshot. And then after that, ABP launched the chain. A bunch of people sort of hopped in after that. Um, but what was interesting is it wasn't just a matter of launching the chain. And throughout launching the chain, we had all these go and no go votes where all the potential BPs, including ourselves, got together and basically took a vote. You know, a go vote would mean, hey, we're going to launch this thing on X date. A no go meant, no, we need to fix some bugs or we need to do more security testing or we need to do xyz before we actually get in um, and launch this thing and for a while i think it was for 
I want to say maybe a couple weeks, we kept hitting no-go votes. Yeah. And it got to the point, like we were talking about earlier, Zach, where uh, there were BPs that were basically being threatened with, if you vote no-go again, because all of these security things have been you know, fixed, we think you've done cautious. enough testing. <laughs> were, yeah, exactly. They were just being overly cautious. Everyone's like, no, we want this chain. You got unlocked. Yeah. If you vote no one more time, you'll never be a top 20 unlocked. <laughs> 100%. So basically, with community <laughs> pressure, they voted to go and, then, well, and eventually the launched the thing. At the time, like the first referendum. Yeah. So, so you guys recall leading up to the main that launch, the main thing going on in the EOS channels were how do I register my wallet? So there was this constant education cycle yeah. where every, because you had to register your wallet in order to be part of the snapshot to get your EOS tokens. And then we, as I guess the voices of the community, were encouraging everyone to put your tokens in a private wallet. That way, if multiple chains happen to launch or if there's airdrops, you'll, you'll be entitled to all of them. Uh, but a lot of people left them on the exchanges. So basically, once the Ethereum tokens were locked, if you had uh, your ERC-20 tokens in your MetaMask wallet, they, they were just locked. So people were panicking. I think price was, I don't know what volatility was doing at the time, but yeah, I'm sure it was up. I'm sure it was down. And that's always going to be frustrating for someone whenever their uh, money's all locked up and illiquid. And then the exchanges were all isolated from each other because there was no arbitrage because typically in arbitrage, you got to transfer money back and forth between exchanges. But Binance was its own little sandbox. Bitfinex was its own little sandbox. So there's still trading going on. But those were the people that uh, left, left their tokens on the exchange instead of uh, wanting to be part of Genesis snapshots and airdrops. And things yeah. Like that. But it, it was a crazy time, but it, everyone was just getting impatient. I, I think the no-go, how many no-go votes were there? Do you remember? I think at the, it, honestly, in the last vote, I think everybody voted go. Maybe one or two people voted no-go, but I'm pretty sure everybody did. Um, but was, what was crazy about this was that even after doing the go vote and saying, okay, we're going to stand up the chain, the anonymous you know, appointed block producer came in, launched the thing, then the BPs hopped in and started producing blocks. Even with all that, we weren't done. Like The, the no. chain was not usable at that point because we still had to get to the <laughs> the 15% unlock. And this was a cool feature to make sure that, you know, 10 chains can't all launch at the same time. It, it was basically, I think, designed in a lot of ways to make sure that there's community participation on your chain before it launches. So what this required was that 15%, basically 150 million EOS tokens, had to be voted um, towards any block producers in order to launch the chain. And it wasn't until you got to 15% that then you could actually transfer your tokens and use it and launch dApps and do all these other things. So not only was it like, okay, you know, how do I register my tokens before? Then it was like, okay, which wallet do I use to unlock my tokens to then vote them towards somebody? How do I do any of this? And that's really where our education at Cypherglass started was, okay, all of these people have questions about this new system. Because now you're in EOS, it seems like, okay, we have governance, you know, we have dApps, you can plus smart contracts, it all seems relatively normal. But before this thing launched, there was really nothing like it, especially on the governance side that had ever existed in the crypto space before. So people had a million different questions, trying to point them in the right way. But eventually, we got that 15% unlock, I think thanks to Bitfinex, because we had pushed over 10% just with the community voting. And it had been, I think, another week or two, um, uh, you know, starting from June <laughs> Third, so, I want to say, when we, the, the go vote happened. June 2nd. June, yeah. June 2nd is okay. when the ERC-20 token smart contract locked. Okay. And then from there, the go, no-go votes started. So there was a couple of those for a week or two. And then after the go vote, which was when all the block producers voted, yes, let's launch the chain, that single anonymous block producer launched the chain. But like Rob said, the tokens were still frozen. 
because yeah. <laughs> there is a security mechanism that until 15% of all of the token holders vote for their block producers, no tokens could be transferred, staked, or anything. You're, you, so we yep. had a blockchain, but you couldn't do anything with it except vote. And even right. then, after that point, it wasn't like you could just transfer your tokens. Everybody's tokens were staked by default on the mainnet. Oh, it's yeah. just a, a, a way for the chain to launch. So then people were like, what do you mean I can't transfer my tokens now? Why does it say I only have 10 EOS tokens? And everybody's oh, like, God. just panicking. And yeah. eventually like, okay, you have to unstake, wait 72 hours, then you can send your tokens if you want. And I think that a lot of confusion around the mainnet. But if you look back on it now, it, it really went off <laughs> relatively well. Um, considering like the scale of this, considering what was really being launched, I think it it, it went pretty well. So. Yeah. Well, now, that was before all of the uh, like what, what what's the liquid EOS the EOS link where they bridge the gap with all the mm -hmm. translations and stuff. All oh yeah, groups weren't put together yet. They weren't as organized to to no. disseminate information globally. No. Uh, other issues. There wasn't a hardware wallet yet, which Cipher Glass. Want to explain that? Yeah, one. we. <laughs> yeah, so there, when there it launched, really, it was... There's Grey Mass, that's it, really. That, and that was it. And at that point, I, I had no idea who Grey Mass was. So I would, it's, it's a wallet that I love to use now and I recommend. But at that point, I was like, who are these Grey Mass people? Like, this could just be a scam. They're collecting people's private keys. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we need to do more research. But they were really the only place to put your tokens. There was no trusted hardware wallet solution. So I think right around that point is when we came out with our, our $100,000 hardware wallet bounty to get it out on Ledger and Trezor. Ledger has obviously been, been filled, is now feature complete. You can use it with any dApp, with any service you want online, um, especially through Scatter. And then uh, Trezor should come out soon. We got a submission. We're waiting on Trezor to approve it. But none of that infrastructure was in place when the chain launched. It made it very, very difficult for users to trust any kind of wallet. I think we've gotten past that now. You know, Dan has, has yeah. even looked at the, the Graymask wallet and sort of recommended it at a certain point. But it was wild in the early days. I mean, nobody really knew, you know, what was trustworthy? What wasn't? What what should I do here? Why are my tokens staked? There were just so many questions. And yeah. to your point about you know all these people being unorganized, especially between the East and the West, there was a lot of talk that almost turned into fud at a certain point about oh the China is going to have their own chain, they're going to launch their own EOS, and then there's going to be the rest of the world in there you know with their other EOS chain. But the block producers actually got together, ourselves included, at Cypherglass, and we all signed an agreement, which was pretty historic when you think about it. We all signed an agreement to launch one EOS chain. Whether or not we actually got elected or not, we weren't going to go and fork it off and start another thing um, like some people did with Telos and some of these others. The agreement was, hey, we're all in this mainnet. We're here to compete. We're here to get these votes. Whether or not we get them or not, we're only going to launch one chain. And I think that was pretty incredible that that was pulled off, that now the East and the West are on the same EOS chain. And it, it makes for a stronger chain and most importantly, a stronger community. Little, little did everyone know the EOS mainnet is the Asian chain. <laughs> right <laughs> we're, we're living it on it that way sometimes <laughs> yeah, absolutely. adriana what, what was your experience with with the main that launched i remember it feeling like a mini un um like i you know i think that's the the natural uh challenge when you when you talk about decentralized communities there's no central authority to give out information so everything's put together by volunteers and community efforts and i think that that point is really missed when you when we talk about the launch of the chain because everybody remembers it being this chaotic mess and i remember it being one of the most organized activities i've mm -hmm. ever participated in because it took so many people globally to come together and say hey we're going to do this thing and we're going to do it together and we're going to all play by these rules whether we like it or not which like rob said is a historic moment i think for crypto and blockchain 
um, I think it really proves that a decentralized governance model can exist among people all over the world. And we can all sit down and agree, hey, this is how we're going to do business, which was, I think, for me, the proof in the pudding. That's what I needed to see launching this chain because it was going to set the foundation for how we governed it from there on out. So for me, the experience was fantastic. I felt so honored to be participating in the launch of this chain that was hopefully going to change the way we do business all around the world. Um, you know, it was chaotic. I, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of language barriers, and I even remember getting uh, cussed out in Mandarin a few times. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but but that's kind of the nature of this: is everybody's really passionate about how this uh, technology is supposed to work, and they all have ideas of how it's supposed to work, and they're all fighting for it. So. I think that's great. I mean, it, it really helped me um, see different perspectives, different cultures, what they think about business, how they work. And um, it, it was the best team building experience for Cypherglass. I can honestly say that because we were having to take shifts at that point, uh, make sure that somebody was always in Telegram, somebody was always, you know, uh, abreast of what was going on with, yeah. the, with the calls. So I think more than anything, it was team building, not just for the community, but for Cypherglass in general. Oh, yeah, we had to, to I totally forgot about the shifts. There were points where we had somebody online 24 seven because you never knew when a, a go vote was going to happen when um, I mean, some of those live, were... they were live streamed. All of these go, yeah. go yeah. votes were all live yeah. streamed. And then in the very last yeah. one, everyone kind of caught wind of the rumors that like everyone's going to vote yes. So it was like yeah. this unwritten secret. And EOS go props to the old EOS go Kevin Wilcox and uh, I'm, I'm drawing and Blue Blue Jays. Jays. Blue Jays. Uh, yeah, they played an integral part in communicating information for the mainnet launch, and that was their most popular live stream. I rem remember seeing Brock Pierce with like the EOS Sweden team. He was on Ivan on. Oh yeah, giving an yep. interview for the launch. But like Rob said earlier, like yeah, we launched, but your tokens were still stuck. So uh, <laughs> it was a catch twenty two. Yeah, we had a change. Couldn't use but it. I remember at the oh, time, yeah. Rob, you're at like your peak celebridom. From the million dollar <laughs> EOS bet, like fifty five thousand YouTube views. Uh, so I, I remember whenever the tokens unlocked, we're actually recording, I believe, episode nine, ten of everything yeah. EOS. So we started a podcast in March. So this is like a couple months in, and we're actually recording. And your brother Mike, your other brother, not Ben, uh, he's like showing his hands like 15 he's like showing one five in like the window and we we're like what yeah we we're, were like, so used going to getting on? kicked out of the room because yeah. we were like in there too long and people needed it for like a meeting or something yeah. and he's saying one five and i'm thinking 15 minutes but he was saying 15 percent and immediately you're on your computer your phone's blowing up you're like oh my god we're producing blocks yeah uh, it was crazy i thought we saw the the hash of that first block that we produced, I remember James like put it in our, our Cypherglass Slack and we we're like, oh my God, like the chain is live. We went out and like everybody in the office is clapping like, oh, congratulate. Like we launched it finally. Like you guys are in. Like it was just such you guys an, an incredible in the top experience. 21. Do you, either of you remember yeah. where we launched that? Yes. 12. We launched that position 12 and yeah. it was amazing. Um, I remember I was just hanging out here at home and it was, it was that 15% because we were inching towards it. It was like watching um, a game load on your Xbox or your computer, <laughs> like waiting for it. And eventually you just get tired of watching it and you walk away. So I think at that point we were all kind of lethargic to it and we were like, when is this chain going to open? And we had kind of yeah. calculated based on where it was like, okay, we've got another two or three days. And then all of a sudden at once it unlocks and we're number 12 
And I remember everybody in Slack just going crazy. We were like, we're producing blocks. And oh my gosh, we were elected. And it was definitely um, a cry moment for me. It was one of those happy cry moments because we had just worked so hard. And not just at Cypherglass, but I mean, you really felt the, the hard work coming from every angle of the community. And at that point, we had just experienced a lot of frustration and disagreeing with each other. So to, to finally have this chain unlocked and to be elected into it, huge moment for us. By far my favorite moment of 2018. Yeah. So that was back in June. How, how have you guys' expectations been met since the mainnet launch? What were your biggest surprises? What were your biggest disappointments? Uh, for 2018 from Maine that launched until the end of the year? What was your favorite and least favorite parts? It's <laughs> a good question. Because I, I, I think, think we expected it to think like governance. I, I think we expected it to be a lot smoother. I, I think we expect, well, we didn't know about the wrecks at Maine that launch, but I, yeah, I, I think the might. constitution never got ratified still. Like th- there's yeah, a lot of and things all that didn't happen. All that's coming. I think. I think my biggest disappointment was probably ECAF because I think at the beginning, you know, dispute resolution was like, oh, it's going to be amazing if you lose your key. Like you have a way to get it. Like you can, you can have a recovery partner and do all these things, or you can go through arbitration. And over time, we saw that ECAF was really this, I think, central point of failure within the system that almost had more power than VPs, but they were unelected, um, and there were a lot of conflicts of interest there. So that was probably my biggest disappointment. But on the flip side, I think my biggest surprise was just the the popularity of DApps already. Like yeah. this chain has been live for about six months, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and the amount of people that are using dApps, I mean, we passed the total amount in three months. We passed the amount of daily active uh, users of dApps that Ethereum had. And Ethereum had been around for three years. And I thought like, okay, maybe after we hit three years, like we'll be, we'll be way ahead of Ethereum at that point. But in three months, we'd already surpassed them. Um, and I think the, the only other thing that probably surprised me with dApps is the amount of volume. Like with some dApps like Dice, doing a quarter billion dollars in volume in one week on this chain that is less than six months old just totally blew my mind and was way above my expectations of dApps. Um, so I, I can't wait to see what happens in 2019 because I imagine our minds are all going to be blown again. Yeah. How, how about you, Adriana? I think it's the same thing. I think I would have liked to have seen um, you know, some type of community foundation come together to um, maybe like get referendum or a system going a little sooner. I think the natural uh, thought when EOS was launched was going to be that, hey, this thing comes kind of complete with governance. And we were basically unaware that we, no, we were the governance. We had to build in this governance system. And um, that was the biggest surprise. And I don't want to call it a disappointment, but, you know, surprise is the right word. I think that um, now that we're moving forward, we've realized that all we had is a blockchain and how we use the blockchain is completely up to us. And that's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, that's kind of the gift of EOSIO is that we get to take this really cool technology that has a built-in governance, you know, DPoS and, um, you know, divide it up and and make it work the way we see fit or the community sees fit rather. So that's been the coolest part of this ride is watching the community take uh, EOS and make it their own because it really is the communities. I mean, at the end of the day, block producers can suggest all they want. ECAF or any other central point of governance can suggest all they want, but it really is the token holders that have the power. So I'm loving seeing this true decentralized chain grow in that fashion um, where the community takes it, does what they think is right with it. And if everybody wants to get behind it, it works. If, if nobody gets behind it, it doesn't. So, yeah, you know, decentralization in action. That's the best part. <laughs> 
I think rather than uh, just stating my opinion on it, I think I'm just going to bring up some like highlights that I remember and we can just kind of uh, give commentary on it. So do you guys remember when the right after the mainnet launch when the token price was still relative it was really healthy compared to today everyone's like these block producers are making millions of dollars per year <laughs> oh yeah these greedy sons of bitches <laughs> yeah now, there was there was now, one no. there was it was like a maybe a 24-hour period where the number one block producer made ten thousand dollars in one day and people then for the longest time after that even still today they're like all oh, these people making 10 grand a day every single day all of them when you know, the price difference between the number one BP and the number 22 BP is the number 22 is making less than half of what number one is making. So they weren't making 10 grand then. But especially now at a, a two dollar something token price, nobody is, is making anywhere close to that. Most BPs are still losing money or barely breaking even. So yeah, but it was wild for a while. People were like, oh, they're getting rich. They're making 100 million dollars a year. And it's yeah. like, no, unfortunately, like, no, not at all. <laughs> because the price is so high, I bet. Uh, the minimum amount of tokens were being liquidated to actually fund the block producers. So all of that rich, all of those riches actually turned into a lot smaller bag of riches. Yeah, and exactly. now a lot of pretty much every block producer is probably operating at some sort of a loss right now with the long term expectations of things will turn around. And then once the token price goes up again, if anyone starts complaining about everyone getting paid too much, well, you're, you've got to cover those losses from from the couple months or even longer. Oh, absolutely. How long yeah. this token price lasts. So it, it all bounces it is, out. Yeah, it is kind of cool to see that block producers kind of had to prove themselves through this bear market. Like, I think it's it's nice to see the markets kind of self-cleaning them, you know, cleaning themselves and, and pushing out people that, you know, really can't fund a giant block producer, can't be, uh, can't manage their money properly it's it's honestly something that you have to be very very stringent about when you're a block producer and the way that this market has worked so far i personally think is in our favor because now that 2019 is coming in and the what i think the price will go up um it's going to be interesting to see how block producers um re-implement their finances and, and reorganize their finances because we've learned so much in 2018 that we are dependent on on the entire market and what it's doing I think treasury management's going to be huge in any uh, yeah. crypto-related business where you're being paid in crypto, whether you're a mining farm or a block producer on a deposit system. Uh, treasury management is so crucial, but I think going into this, uh, a lot of people weren't nearly as uh, careful as they may have, have should have been in retrospect. But I think the lessons have been learned, and I think moving forward, I, I think Treasury management's go going to be a top priority as the price stabilizes and slowly, hopefully, goes up. Um, so as far as price and crazy things happening, you guys remember the RAM market right at the mainnet launch? Oh my God, yeah. The, the price like 20x. Like I, I kept looking at it and. I kept thinking I was too late to the party and not buying it. Thank God I never actually bought a bunch of RAM because it did end up going up like 10x and going down 10x. But that was insane. You couldn't buy RAM. It, account, there was controversy over accounts being too expensive yeah. and nobody having any RAM. And then I think at one point, I think it was one kilobyte of RAM was like 0.9 EOS, almost one EOS <laughs> for one kilobyte. Or like, oh my God, it was, it was a little crazy. It was. I'm glad to see that it's stabilized out and that, you know, the market looks much more healthy. Um, and I think that with all these different tools being built onto EOS, that's really going to 
you know, make the difference in, in RAM pricing, uh, things like RECs and, and leasing models and, and everything that's being built in now. Um, I wish we had had from the get-go, but like I said, you can't have those things on a brand new chain. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that the community is stuck with us um, kind of through all these ups and downs and high RAM prices and low RAM prices. Um, I'm looking forward to a much stable, a much more stable RAM market in 2019. That's something that I think I've, I've probably been most impressed about in 2018 is just the chain's ability to upgrade and change and sort of adapt I to the circumstances. Yeah. about to say that. That, that was going to be what my highlight for 2018 was... Yeah. Through all of the FUD, all of the controversies, all of the hiccups with the RAM market, the CPU congestion we're still dealing with, we, we the the BPs being paid too much or too little, like we keep running into these issues, and then we 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 come together as a decentralized commu global community of individuals. We come together and, and try to solve them, and little mm -hmm. by little, we, we solve a problem. Then there's another problem. We solve that problem. There's another problem, and this is going to be a constant cycle for the foreseeable future for years to come. But this is how you battle hard in your chain. That, that's why Bitcoin mm -hmm. is the most valuable chain in existence because it's been killed hundreds of times, been left for dead. It dies, it comes back. You can't kill it. The longer that goes on on EOS, the, the stronger the chain is going to be, the more unstoppable it's going to be, the more confident people are going to be to build on it because they know it's going to be here and last and... and uh, be flexible to, to right. solve future problems. Yeah, and I think even though we didn't get, you know, important governance things like referendum this year, obviously we got referendum to the point where it's on the mainnet, it's being tested on the mainnet and, and should be live uh, really, really early in 2019. Even though we didn't get that, I think if you look back on all the different proposals like RAM, for example, where now a small amount of RAM gets added to the RAM pool every single block, every half second, which basically doubles the RAM supply every year. It adds another 64 gigs. But that proposal was implemented by a BP vote where basically somebody proposed this, here's the code, and then 15 out of the top 21 voted to approve it. And within a day, boom, that upgrade was live on the mainnet. We saw the same thing with CPU, where CPU has been mm -hmm. increased by 600% or more since the mainnet launched. And every time it was increased, it was a BP vote of saying, hey, the community wants this, let's go ahead and vote it in. And boom, as soon as it's voted in, within a day, it's already approved. And if you look at any other blockchain, that's never happened. There's never been a chain that's had the governance structure in place to actually implement a fix to increase CPU, to decrease the price of RAM over time with a simple vote and boom, have it implemented right away. So I think that speaks not only to the governance structure and sort of the, the overall you know, structure of yeah. the US blockchain, but also to the community that they're willing, they want change because change is how we're going to win this race. Change is how we're going to be the main blockchain app platform versus saying, oh no, I don't want change. I want to keep my chain at at 15 right. transactions per second. Don't let it scale, please. No, scalability. Oh, God. Yeah. So I think that's it's, how it's been amazing. Happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's like avoided fork after fork after fork. And so that really shows you the power of, you know, this flexible blockchain that that is self-governing. Um, that's awesome. I mean, everybody this year is still, I think we're still seeing the hype of FUD cycle. I think we're still going to see that through 2019. But it's awesome because every day that this chain stays up is just one more day that, you know, we have that's proof like, hey, this works, this, this model works. It's a whole new business model, not just for, um, you know, technology companies, but companies in general. And that's really starting to, uh, to take off, I think. And I can't wait to see how people, um, you know, use this business model in 2019, because I think it's going to branch out of 
gaming and resource staffs. I think we're going to start to see real businesses built on top of this stuff because they know it, you know, I don't have to worry about a fork every time something needs to change in the code. I think what we saw in 2018 was the initiation or introduction of a lot of really big ideas. And I think 2019 is going to be the year that we see all of these ideas fully bloom. And I think EOS VC was one of the, the biggest um, uh, things that block initiatives that Block One set, set out for 2018. So they first announced it at that hackathon I mentioned on January 13th. They announced uh, tomorrow, tomorrow BC and Galaxy Digital a week later. And then we saw FinLab AG, EOS Global, SVK Crypto. It was like every month another EOS VC would come out and we were promised that a billion dollars of capital was going to be deployed into EOS dApps. So what what were your initial reactions whenever that announcement was made that they were going to commit? Because we, we talked about the FUD. The FUD at the time was that they're collecting way too much money and why do they need to why do they need why does block one need billions of dollars because even at that time they probably had one and a half two billion dollars whenever they made that commitment of one billion what were you guys initial reactions uh to that because that kind of shut some of the fud up it's like yeah we did collect a lot of this money we, we probably didn't need it all for ourselves so here's what we're going to do to grow this ecosystem what were your initial reactions to that so i was really happy to see them um you know, take a war chest of that size and and parcel it out to to be had among you know DApps. That was legitimacy on top of the project. I think, um, you know, that helped co uh, combat the FUD really well. And I think that um, in 2018, I was a little disappointed to not see so many DApps get funded. But I also think that that shows restraint from the VCs, which is a good thing. You know, they're they're only willing to put their money where they think something's going to work and to dApps that will actually bring value into the ecosystem. And I really appreciate that. Um, like I said, I would love to see more funded dApps. I would love to see dApps coming out of, you know, everywhere, but that's just not, um, that's not realistic when you're trying to grow a technology company for the next 10 years instead of go out of business in, in two. Yeah, and so. if you want, I could, I'll lose a billion dollars for you if you want. It's pretty easy <laughs> in some of these projects. So yeah, so I, I need to I lose a billion, I could do that. I, I agree that I expected more funding in 2018, but I think 2019, we're going to see funding go out at an uh, accelerated pace because mm -hmm. this deal flow takes takes a while. There's there's a ton of due diligence and they're being careful. So one of the most respectable things, like Adriana said, is they're being very careful and they're mostly looking to invest in companies where they think they could eventually turn a profit because that is the end goal of a VC is right. you want to turn a profit or else you're, you're just going to eventually run out of money. And a good oh, comparison yeah. is let, let's look at consensus. Look at all the projects that they funded that had no plan for revenue anywhere in their roadmap, but yet they're being funded tens of millions of dollars from consensus oh, yeah. to, to do basically nothing. Maybe, maybe I mean, good stuff for humanity, good ideas, things that sound cool, but it's not a business model. And, and I, I think looking at what EOSVC is doing is they're trying to build sustainable business models because otherwise, what are you doing it for? You're going to eventually always run out of money unless the market goes up forever, right. which it never always will. Yeah, it, I mean, it's nice when the causes are great. You know, it's nice when, when a DAP or a project is helping the environment or, or decentralizing something that really needs to be decentralized or, you know, one of the many a thousand reasons you could do a DAP for it. But you know, at the end of the day, we're all here to make money and we're all here to make sure that our investments are sound while doing something good for the world. So it's a it's a 
two-part recipe. And I'm glad to see that the VCs um, are taking this very seriously and, like I said, executing restraint rather than just throwing money out everywhere like Consensus or some of these other chains that I think are wasting their money, you know, with good ideas, but bad, bad business practices. Sort of all of the ESVC announced uh, funded projects so far. What, what were you guys' favorite ones that you're looking forward to in 2019? Ooh, I'm definitely excited about Mythical Games. And I know they haven't come out <laughs> with anything. If I had to, to pick one that's actually launched, it would probably be Everipedia, the decentralized Wikipedia. And now they're building all of these other dApps on top of that same IQ token. But the ones that have been announced but not yet released, Mythical Games for sure, because not just the first game, Blankos, but all of these other game developers that they're working with to sort of you know, add a player-created economy to their game, I think are just going to be incredible and have the potential to disrupt major players in the space like, uh, what is it, EA that, that owns Fortnite that makes you know hundreds of millions of dollars off of skins. All of that can be put on a blockchain, owned or even created by the players, and then that profit is suddenly redistributed to the people actually playing the game versus the one company that you know made it and is now monopolizing the skin industry. Yeah, I think my favorite is definitely Everipedia. I'm just looking forward to seeing what they're going to do for censorship and, um, you know, putting information on a blockchain that can be updated. I think that the project has been my favorite so far. I'm, I'm hung up between high fidelity and mythical games, but I, I guess I'll lean towards mythical games just because from what I understand, they're going to work with multiple uh, independent game studios. We'll yep. see multiple games come out using blockchain for digital asset transfers. Whereas high fidelity, there might be multiple, like I guess, universes within the game, but it, it it's it, it's just I guess not my cup of tea of like living a second life in a virtual world. But I do right. see the promise of, it, and I think it could be huge because I know there's a market for that. But as far as things I might actually play and get into, I'll definitely be playing Blancos. I've been collecting my Blancos airdrops uh, that they've been announcing through their email campaigns. I highly suggest anyone listening to go to Mythical Games or Blancos and sign up for that email list because they've been airdropping Blancos. You can go on their Twitter and they're giving out all kinds huh. of free stuff. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, so I guess moving on to the, we got the ESVC there. They're, the ESVCs are going to be investing in decentralized applications. But then there was another big round of funding in 2018 that was actually an investment into Block One itself outside of the ICO that we all invested in. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there was the Peter Thiel and Bitmain led investment private investment yeah. round back in July. Who wants to kind of reminisce on that one? Yeah, I'm, so this was incredible to me and this uh this is what inspired me to read Peter Thiel's book Zero to One. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. Sort of makes sense after reading that why he invested in Block 1 and what he sees in them. But basically this was a strategic round. You know, Block 1 raised almost 5 billion dollars. They don't need any extra money at this point, especially since they've had good treasury management. They've been selling it out. Um, they have those billions. It's not like they had it in ETH at a thousand and it all went down. They they got out of that. Um, but Peter Thiel coming in and basically saying, "Hey, this is a company with his track record, looking at Facebook and um, starting PayPal and all these other companies like SpaceX and Tesla that he invested in. This is a company that he thinks is going to make a you know change on a similar scale as those companies he's been involved in in the past." And with Brendan Bloomer in a recent interview saying things like... Yeah, and in terms of investors, I mean, Bloomberg has reported that you're winning funding from Peter Thiel, Jihan Wu. Can you confirm that? 
Yes, we can confirm that. Um, we did a strategic round a little bit um, uh, a couple months ago, and uh, you know, these, this technology is really a, um, a platform that allows us to start to disrupt some of the large centralized uh, technology platforms today. Um, and these are leaders in that space. And our next plans will make it in terms of what we build on the application ourselves. It'll become a little more apparent why we chose the investors that we have. Okay. And when are you planning to release that information? Hopefully at the end of this year, or early next. Okay. It's super exciting. I mean, when he says stuff like that, and then you go, okay, Peter Thiel talking about at PayPal making a currency to replace the US dollar, but also being, you know, the first investor in Facebook, having a board seat at Facebook, and, and Dan talking about making a decentralized Facebook. It all kind of makes sense, like, oh, maybe we will see that decentralized social media platform in 2019. So this was this was awesome, that Peter Thiel announcement. Yeah. And it's something that I think is still a little bit under the radar that people won't know the full significance of until these future apps come out. Yeah. I mean, Mike Novogratz has been screaming about EOS for a while now. So it's an, always nice when these bigger names come in and, and join the ecosystem. And when I heard Peter Thiel is coming on, that was a, that was a big moment for us. I think that just as Rob mentioned, him having the foresight into things like Facebook and other, um, you know, disruptive technologies shows that he finds promise in EOS. And that's what we've all been shouting from the rooftops to begin with. So it's nice confirmation. Yeah, it's cool when you like when you're in something like EOS and then all of a sudden one of the most esteemed VCs in the world comes in and does the same thing after you. You're like, OK, all right, we're, we're doing the right yeah, thing. Yeah, I called it right. You're so used to fighting the <laughs> yeah. fun and you're like, Hey, look, this guy's super legit. Why would he be investing yeah. in a scam? Yeah. 100%. So every time we've talked about this, Rob, we're always talking about Peter Thiel, and we always kind of brush over Bitmain because that still hasn't really made a lot of sense to me. But recently, EOS Force has been getting kind of like talked about more than it ever has been before. And I, I'm not super familiar with it because I'm, I guess, not really interested. They do sound like they have cool features. But they have some sort of Bitcoin cash relationship with EOS Force. And also, uh, Bitmain invested a big investment round into Circle earlier this year also. So I don't think we should necessarily write off Bitmain's rule in EOS IO. Uh, I, don't know what it, I don't know what it is. But the Circle investment makes a lot of sense considering that, that Circle, who now owns Poloniex, listed EOS on their uh, US-based exchange. So that, that could have been from the Bitmain relationship. Obviously, Bitname has a bit of a, a cloud over it right now with, oh, yeah. you know, over-investing in Bitcoin Cash and then uh, misleading investors with their IPO, laying off people. Now it looks like even more than 50. I think I saw 85. Um, so a, a lot of people are going there, obviously, heavily downsizing, um, as are a lot of companies in the crypto space. But uh, I do still think they can add value in a lot of ways. Jihan Wu is one of the most well-connected people in crypto. So whether it's that Circle Poloniex listing or other things that will happen in the future, I'm sure he'll still add a ton of value to this investment. But uh, from my perspective, in my opinion, he's not quite on the level of a Peter Thiel, who's this, you know, world class, well-known uh, VC who's invested in the most important products and services that have sort of shaped the last 10 years of our lives. Yeah, and that being said, I think it's going to be harder and harder to be a large crypto company and not be involved with EOS as time goes on. So I think that there's a difference between when you're talking about Bitmain being, you know, this huge conglomerate in crypto. Um, I think that they have to start getting their beak wet with EOS if they want to stay relevant moving forward. Yeah, it's almost like a, a hedge for them. You know, they're so into proof of work and mining right. and all these things for them to come to DPoS and invest directly in block one to get exposure to all the ESIO chains. Really, it does make a lot of sense from a business standpoint. Maybe, maybe ironically, uh, DPoS will end up saving Bitmain, <laughs> who overinvested <laughs> in proof of work. We'll see. But maybe that's why they're sh shutting down some of their mining operations because they're moving to Bcash DPoS. Who knows? Yeah, they see yeah, the know. future. Who knows? <laughs> so 
what are you guys looking forward to the most? Let's look forward a little bit. We've looked back for a while now. What are you looking forward to in 2019? Oh, Rex. Who wants to go first? Yeah, Rex. (laughs) And the hardware wallet. I think that from V1, I'm looking for Rex and the hardware wallet. I think that that's going to really help push the the community forward. I think Rex is going to offer this whole new solution um, to voting and making sure that holding EOS tokens is worth your time and, um, you know, not consistently trading on them is, is, you know, the goal. We want to we want people to hold those EOS and to use them to vote for the system and use them to stake their CPU to DApps. So when Rex comes out, I'm looking forward to seeing what that does, um, you know, and, and how it affects all of these different variables in the system. And then with the hardware wallet, it will just be really nice to see B1 put that out and hopefully offer those free accounts and bring even more people into the ecosystem from the larger crypto community. That's Absolutely. One of the other reasons I'm excited for the Rex is we, we mentioned it earlier these dividend uh paying tokens so rex tokens are going to be paying dividends for for leasing out your transaction volume so it's just one more use case on eosio of a way to earn a a passive income in in the form of dividends i think that was one of my biggest surprises was and and it was a surprise mostly because of the regulational uncertainty climate we sit in is you just don't expect a dividend paying token because you know the SEC could come in and shut it down at any point. But because these uh, organizations are so decentralized, like the EOS mainnet, it, the Rex is technically paying a dividend, but nobody, I, I don't think anyone's going to come out and say that it's a security. Uh, and if they did, who would they go after? Because my Block 1 tokens are still on Ethereum right now. Uh, and that, 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 that was my response, I, I guess, to I... some of the FUD we saw recently too, is Charles Hoskinson coming out. You guys see that? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. saying how he's predicting the SEC is going to come after Block One. Well, guess what, buddy? My Block One tokens are still in my Ethereum wallet and they're not going anywhere. So those are the 100%. tokens they sold me. And yep. I, I think it's it's also kind of funny when people say, oh, I heard the, the SEC from heard from a friend. They're investigating Block One. If anybody in the world raises almost $5 billion, you can bet that the SEC and every other government organization that deals with this stuff in the world is looking at them going, okay, let's just make sure everything is legit. So I expect that. I expect something like that to happen. I personally don't think it's going to result in anything negative, but I I love seeing competitors in this blockchain app space who still don't have a working platform hating on working platforms. It's always kind of comical to see. Yeah, I think that maybe that's what I'm really looking forward to in 2019 is that whole that whole FUD getting shut down and watching B1 do their thing as an open source software company and everything else just functioning just fine. That'll be like great. B1's just been playing it very careful, cards close to their chest because like you look at their hires, they've hired like top tier uh, legal teams and I'm sure they've been in conversation with the SEC this entire time. Uh, it's just we don't hear about it because why if would you, we talk about it publicly? Yeah. If you look at their their recent uh, head of legal counsel who joined in early June, I believe, right before the mainnet launched, he I think was on a he ran a weekly podcast with one of the former chairs of the SEC. So it's these people are incredibly well connected. Nobody goes out and raises this much money and doesn't have a strong legal plan with serious lawyers that are ready to back this and say no. This is why we believe this raise was okay and legal within, you know, all of these different jurisdictions. So right. it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how that all unfolds, of course. But my personal, what I'm most excited about for 2019 is seeing EOSVC come to fruition. So we have that first billion dollars in capital. 
you include Tomorrow BC, which has sort of been removed, it seems that's it's about $725 million has been allocated to these funds. But that still means there's $275 million at least that hasn't even been allocated to a VC fund that we could see allocated to, to you know, who knows, could be a community fund where a bunch of people are tokenizing and voting on it. Could be more VCs from, you know, esteemed people that have invested in some of the best centralized tech companies in the past and now are looking to the decentralized future. But in addition to that, you know, in a couple of interviews, Brendan Bloomer um, has mentioned our initial contribution was a billion dollars, but we're not limiting it to that in the future. And he did mention, you know, they don't want to overcapitalize these projects early. But I would bet that once, you know, a significant portion of this billion is dolled out, we have, you know, several hundred dApps funded that maybe Block One comes out and says, hey, we got another billion for you. And they push that out to other VCs or push it out in some other way um, to really make EOSIO the most adopted blockchain software in the world as it already is today. But, you know, keeping that that uh, sort of title belt going forward. Yeah. Before we started recording, I said I was going to look forward most to Steam 2.0 or whatever yeah. it's going to be called. And the main reason behind that is just because I've, mm -hmm. I've become a content creator over the last year. So I'm really yeah. excited to have a, a, a platform on or a, a, a social platform on top of the platform that we talk about every day. So I'm, I'm excited to, to actually use Steam 2.0 and I, I'm excited if it's everything it, it, it can be. I want to have a dap that my parent, my parents or brother or grandparents could use. And it might, I, I hope it's going to be there. And it seems like uh, Block One's waiting until everything's like feature complete and completely polished before they release it. That seems to be the trend. That's the only reason we haven't seen the Block One wallet yet. I, th I think Dan, comment, Rob, didn't someone well, talk directly? Yeah, so I spoke to Greg at uh, the, the hackathon and their initial reasoning was basically, hey, you know, we're going to come out with an MVP, a minimum viable product. We're going to get the wallet out there and then we'll iterate on it over time. But what they saw was that there are already other plenty, you know, plenty of other community wallets like EOS Links that are super easy and sort of MVPs that then have dApp stores and other things built on top of it. These wallets already exist. So then they sort of shifted and Brennan was kind of going, OK, maybe we shouldn't release an MVP. This really should be feature complete and be an app that you can download once and suddenly you know, you've unlocked this door into this amazing ecosystem where now you can use any dApp on any EOSIO chain um, all within your wallet and store all of your tokens securely using your face or your uh, fingerprint um, in that secure enclave. So I think it's the right move and I can't wait to see what this wallet will actually look like and the features that it will have when it launches hopefully very, very soon in, in Q1. Yep. I want to make one big prediction. I, I just thought of it. Uh -oh. Uh, I don't know if it's EOS to a thousand dollars. Be careful with those. Be careful with those. No, so I don't. I don't think I've seen anyone else talking about this. Uh, but okay. do you guys? Did you see the Maker DAO investment earlier this year, where Andresine Horwitz invested oh, a yeah. couple million dollars into tokens from the founding team at a discount? I could see Block One as their hundred million tokens slowly get given to them, and they have. Uh, access to them to distribute them in any way that they want. I could see Block One uh, selling their tokens below market rate to strategic uh, a strategic partner, such as an Andresine Horowitz, uh, because what what there's a lot of things they could do with their tokens, but a hundred million is an extreme amount, and I, I think that what are they getting released ten percent every year, so they'll have ten million yeah, tokens 10 by next June. So, yeah, they could stake them because we, we could expect them to build some of the most killer dApps on EOS. So they're going to need to stake them for bandwidth and things like that. 
but I could also see them distributing them in, in some sort of strategic partnerships in, in the same way that MakerDAO did it. And for those listening who aren't familiar, just look up uh, the Andresine Horowitz MakerDAO investment that happened a month, two months, three months ago. And I could see stuff like that happening, but I don't know if that's, that's a interesting. Teen prediction or down the line, but I, I, yeah, I would because it, it's getting skin in the game at a, a below market price. So people are going to complain about that. They complained about Maker. All the token holders of MakerDAO complained about it too. But you, you can't complain about getting a strategic partner like Andreessen Horowitz. You want them to have skin in the game and not worry about market volatility or anything like that because it gives them some downside where they're they're still ahead of even if the price would go down. So I, I think it's an interesting. It's an interesting prediction. It's totally possible that it could happen. I would think from their perspective, they would want to keep all of that for their first staff so they can have that full 10 million to go after it. And then obviously avoid things like, where did this, where did these 2 million EOS go? Why are they being sent out? Like, it would cost so much fun. Yeah, I I think if they wanted to bring somebody on, they could probably source them an OTC buyer and still get them a below market rate. Um, But I think it's interesting. Who knows? It's definitely possible. I think it's it's a worthy prediction. I mean... (laughs) We'll see. I, I think it's a little further out, but I just wanted to say it on a recording. That way, if it does happen, I could go back and say, I told you so. That that was the main uh, I got you. motivation. I have, a, I have a groundbreaking prediction as well, which is that Rob Finch will not make any price-related <laughs> predictions in 2019. So we'll see you if that, that comes true. You, you heard it here first, folks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So we've kind of covered uh, some of our expectations for 2019, our favorite memories from 2018. Why don't we just freestyle it a little bit for like the next 10 minutes or so before we wrap up? Yeah. Kind of go over. What are your favorite parts? What else has happened? Probably the community as a whole. Like when I was, when I got into Bitcoin in 2013, even back then, and I guess really more into 2014, there were debates about scaling. Like, should we increase the block size? Like, and that went on for years. Then when it got to Ethereum, it was like, oh, we're arguing over the DAO hack. Now we're arguing over scalability again. Oh, look, now we have two chains, like Ethereum Classic and Ethereum, and nothing has really improved. So it's been honestly a relief. Uh, to me, to just interact with a community that is so forward-thinking, that's so open to change, that realizes if we don't change, the next blockchain platform that comes out and does it better than us will replace us, just like we are now replacing these older blockchain platforms that weren't able to adapt. So I I just got to say a huge shout out to the community, everything you've been doing. I think a lot of people, you know, tend to diminish their impact in the community, but everybody out there, whether you answered one question in Telegram, whether you posted a meme in the Everything EOS Telegram channel, whatever you did in 2018, if you interacted with the EOS community in some way, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of that because we couldn't have done it without you. This chain would have no value without you and all the DAP developers and all the DAP users. So huge thank you to you guys. And I hope every single one of you that's listening right now is with us this time next year in 2019 as we look back on what I'm sure will be an incredible groundbreaking year for EOS and the entire crypto space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hate to turn it, turn it into the thank you segment, but (laughs) the community does deserve a shout out. Um, I had, I had this amazing opportunity to travel around recently and go to all of these different EOS events and meetups and uh, visit other block producers. And that has been the most amazing experience. Um, you know, being a part of a global community where I can literally just plug in anywhere I go and have, um, you know, friends and people to discuss my passion with, that's life-changing. 
um, you know, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and I, I grew up in a, in a small community and most of the stuff is so foreign to everybody here. Um, you know, being a part of Cypherglass and being a part of the U.S. community gave me the opportunity to spread my wings and, you know, go international and visit all these hackathons and, um, you know, events and, and EOS uh, meetups. It's been so cool. You know, shout out to EOS Costa Rica who let me come down to Costa Rica and crash at their place and experience the EOS uh, surf surf program and I that was the first time I had ever really looked at the code and I learned how to program a smart contract so nice, I, yeah. yeah yeah I'm I'm enjoying the learning experience so thank you so much to every community member because every one of you that messages me in telegram or tweets at me or uh, sends cypherglass a hello and thank you we see those and and that's our fuel that keeps us going so thank you very very much so I guess I, I would like to thank the community, but I, I think I, I, I do thank the community, but I think you guys covered all the bases there. I would like to take the time to thank Daniel Larimer because throughout <laughs> this entire year of doing this show, I don't think anyone's followed him more closely than I have and dug into That's everything. True, yeah. I, I've dissected everything he said in Telegram, on Twitter, and like he's just a really interesting person because he's got a lot of big ideas. He seems like a really smart guy. But some of my favorite moments in 2018 was sharing the Danisms on the show of things <laughs> that Dan has said. And some of my favorite ones were whenever he was uh, saying, like, basically, he was programming while, like, Vitalik was still in diapers. And then... <laughs> and then that was my favorite. Some good burns. <laughs> and then back in April, someone asked him why most Ethereum projects took three to, two to three years, to, and they're still not complete. And then he comes back, he says, it took me three months to build Steemit from scratch. I ported Bancor in a week. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, once EOS IO is done, I could build a Steemit contract in a week or two. So I love whenever he just comes in there and just like flaunts it. And oh, yeah. he drops bombs. And it, uh, the other time, going back to when he was kind of battling, not battling with Vitalik, but do you guys remember when Vitalik made that video where he made a joke about EOS being Ethereum 2.0? Yeah. Let's roll On the clip. On stage. Roll the clip. <laughs> no, no, look, first of all, and look, what do we mean by Ethereum 2.0? What is Ethereum 2.0 going to be? And I think the answer is pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after that clip uh vitalik made some code comment or something on github and there was a lot of talk of oh it, are vitalik and dan working together are they friends now yeah and, so there's an eos code comment yeah uh so there was a lot of talk about that and dan comes into telegram he says i have a job for v at b1 if he wants it <laughs> i may have been a, <laughs> I, I may have been a bit hard on him in the day and then he said basically he was just giving some advice, but I, I loved how he said V has a job if he needs it. And what do you guys think? Is that ever, are we ever going to see the mega powers unite ever? <laughs> I, so I don't so, think, but no, <laughs> I don't think Vitalik's ever going to work at block one, but I do think he's going to contribute again to EOS in some way. Like when he came in and, and commented on that code, I think it solved some pretty big issue they were looking at. So I think with all of this stuff, whether it's IBC, inter-blockchain communication, or multi-threading, or whatever, 
I would say this is the, not the last time that Dan and Vitalik work together in some way. Maybe the next time it won't be as public. Maybe they've already worked together and we don't even know it. Um, I don't think he'll ever go to block one for uh, a lot of different reasons, mostly reputational and the fact that he probably wants to kind of lead his own thing. But I definitely see them working together again at some point in the future. Yeah, I hope so. What, what were some of your guys' favorite memories of Dan throughout the year? Do you have any that stick out? I like meeting Dan at the San Francisco Hackathon. I got to say, Dan, if you ever watch this, I, I apologize for being a total like fangirl, I guess, because I did <laughs> not expect to. I bumped into him in a hotel and then uh, later at the hackathon. Instead of like every other person I interacted with at the hackathon, I'm talking about EOS and the new things that are coming out. And for some reason with Dan, I like didn't I didn't know what to say because I was like hyping up this moment and meeting him. So I got a picture with him. He probably is like, oh, who's this guy like coming up to me twice asking for a photo, all this stuff. But anyway, Dan, we're big fans whether or not we ever meet again. Um, it was cool to see him in the flesh and see him interacting with people for hours at the hackathon instead of just like popping in and leaving. He was he was really there interacting with the community. So it was cool to see. Yeah, I saw him in. I saw him in, in London. I got to meet Dan in London, and it was really, really awesome. Um, same thing, like watching Dan do his thing and, and be in the moment with all of these DAP developers and, and contributing is amazing because he really, he, he gets out of his own head. You know, he's not, he's Dan to us, but he's not Dan to himself. So he's incredibly humble yeah. when you do meet him in person and you work with him. And I think that that's really missed in Telegram because he's had some amazing moments in Telegram. He's had some comebacks that are like, ooh, bird. Um, <laughs> but I think I think everybody misses that the guy is genuinely down to earth and is willing to help out and willing to answer questions. And that, those are my favorite moments from Dan is when he takes the time to answer, um, you know, community questions to anybody, no matter what their understanding of EOS is. He takes the time to explain it to them. And I, I just want to give major kudos to him. He's, he's an awesome guy. All right. I, th I think I'm going to close this off with one more Dan quote because I prepared the notes with a whole year's worth of quotes from him and we didn't get to go <laughs> through all of them. But the very first one I had for the year was on January 6th. And Dan said, you could lead a horse to water. Education isn't what most want. They want promise of riches. They want pumping. And mm -hmm. that's true. But I, I see that as being the mission of this podcast, Rob. I feel like our mission this entire time has been to educate and enlighten the greater like blockchain, cryptocurrency, and EOS community as to why we're so excited about this. We're not stupid people. Like We didn't not do our research. We know more about what is going on in the ecosystem than most people. We, we've forgotten more things than most people ever know about EOSIO. <laughs> and we, and we try to share it with the community. So if education's not what the people want, I, I feel like we've been able to spin it, twist it up and put our own little twist on it that makes it enjoyable for people. The, the community response to what we've been doing has been incredible. And I'm really looking forward to 2019 and being able to expand on uh, the foundation we've built with this. And I, I think as, as far as education goes, I, I think we, we've got a, um, ambitious goals, I guess, for 2019. And I can't wait to share yeah. them with everyone in the community. And you'll, you'll be seeing different things slowly rolling out uh, throughout the next month, definitely. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you so much, whether you were here at the beginning of the year and followed us through this crazy journey of the end of the ICO and the mainnet launch and now where we are today. Or if this is your first episode and you're kind of you know learning about all this stuff that happened over the last year for the first time, a sincere thank you for sticking along with us. We hope you'll be here, like I said earlier, this time next year in 2019 for our 2019 wrap up. So once again, this is Everything EOS. I'm Rob Finch. I'm Zach Gall. I'm Adriana Mendez. 
And this is everything you's. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> See y'all next year. All right. So